Bitcoin absolutely exploded since the last stream. Yesterday, we were so impressed that it was around 30,000, 31,000. And then seemingly within a matter of moments yesterday, it took the rocket ship up to as high as $35,000. What is going on? Why is Bitcoin skyrocketing? And should we take any deep meaning in the fact that some altcoins actually seem to be following this time? Is this time any different? Are we back in a bull market? I've got two amazing guests to discuss this with today. I've got Matthew Siegel from VanEck. You want to talk ETFs? This is definitely one of your guys. And I've got Wick on the back edge to share some charts and trades for us to look at on the back edge. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit that like button. I hope that all of you are having a wonderful day. I was all smiles yesterday, not because I'm euphoric or FOMOing, just because, man, it's been a long time and it feels good to have those moments where we get these massive green god candles to the upside and for me it was also nice to see some movement in the altcoin market as a result you guys are funny fpl wannabe said scott is busy taking profits i'm not gonna lie it wasn't bitcoin or eth but about four minutes ago i was selling something um i did take some profit in a few altcoins that went massively up to the upside but we're talking about 10 to 20 percent of positions certainly not exiting things right as things might be getting going but always good to take profits when you see those big candles i'll tell you the other thing that i am mega uber long right now is tlt and yesterday i started aggressively scaling into bonds and then 15 minutes later bill ackman sent a tweet saying that he was uh, covering his shorts on his bonds and i Made me feel really good, like I was on the right side. But then again, it made me feel like maybe I was getting played and <laughs> I was going to be uh, on the wrong side of a contrarian play there. But none of that is either here nor there. I'm going to go ahead and bring on Matthew now. Van Eck is a huge part of this Bitcoin spot ETF hype, Ethereum ETF hype, Ethereum futures ETF hype. Is that why the market is moving right now? I think it is, Scott. I mean, I was looking at all the charts also in the last couple of days, and what I noticed was that yesterday was the highest spot volume day in crypto since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank in March, uh, $30 billion yesterday across 200 exchanges. That's three times uh, the daily average volume of the last three, four months. Uh, Bitcoin ETFs saw $43 million in inflows just yesterday, which is 10% of the year-to-date total. Whoa, 10% uh, so, of the entire year. You're talking about into the Bitcoin futures ETFs, Valkyrie, BIP. Yeah, all the various products okay. that are out there. Um, so it, it does look like this was a spot-driven market yesterday. I know that open interest has ticked higher, funding rates are higher, but the spot-to-futures ratio increased, Bitcoin dominance you know, now at 51% continues to rise sharply. So I, th I think this is most of all a spot-driven market on um, the news that BlackRock has a ticker for their uh, Bitcoin ETF. Right. So what's interesting, we saw obviously the fake news pump last week, 
right? Everybody was, we, we were literally live on Monday. It was a pretty exciting hour. It was 28 when we started, 30 in the middle, and 28 when we ended the stream um, because of the perfect time of being here at this moment. I think a lot of people thought, uh-oh, that was going to be a top. It was interesting watching price continue to push back up through those levels throughout the week. And like I said, yesterday, we were you know back above that, kind of trading 31, pushing towards a new yearly high. What do you make of the fact that we made that move all the way from 28 up to 31 before that BlackRock news? I, I, I tweeted about that news, by the way. If people are curious, I'll just give you the quick uh, summary so you guys understand what we're talking about, because it was right after this news that we saw the move to 34, 35 very quickly. Effectively, uh, they've BlackRock has taken the next step, I guess we can call it. And, and Matthew, perhaps you can clarify the next step in preparing to launch an ETF that means that they've got a ticker now with DTCC, the Depository Trust and Clearing Company. The ticker will be IBTC. And as a part of this, I think the part that got everyone excited, whether rightfully or not, is that usually that means that means that there's going to be a seed creation basket for this ETF, aka they're going to start buying. This is not unique to Bitcoin, whatever the ETF is. They're going to start buying or have started buying the underlying asset in preparation for offering that product. That could be a half a Bitcoin for all we know, right? But it is an indication that we're seeing uh, them stepping up their game, preparing. It seems that whether they're going to get approved or not, that BlackRock is planning to be approved, right? They believe they're going to be approved. So that means they're going to have to start buying some Bitcoin. Yeah, you could tell from Gensler's uh, body language in, in recent interviews where he basically punted it to the rest of the SEC. There's a lot of operational details behind the scenes from the various divisions of the SEC that have to go through this paperwork, um, proposed changes, market up. Th these are outside of Gary Gensler's like, individual opinion, and that process does appear to be moving forward. Okay, so we know what BlackRock's doing, obviously, but uh, they're not the only ones, and they're certainly not the first ones. You guys <laughs> maybe uh, could take uh, part of that title. So Van Eck has obviously been in the ETF uh, market for, for ages, and one of the first to really be pushing the narrative that we should get Bitcoin spot ETFs, Bitcoin futures ETFs, everything. Where does Van Eck now stand in this process? Are you also going to now be looking to get a ticker and seed, seed this? What's everyone else doing? Uh, we're in line uh, waiting for the agency to push the paper around. And we're hopeful that all these products uh, will go live and effective at the same time. But... That's a big question mark, uh, which is out of our control. So, you know, what, what we can control is that we've got, um, you know, $77 billion in assets and only 500 million of that is in crypto. And we expect that number to grow over time. So we're not getting cute about shorting coins and taking counterparty risk. Uh, we're long only investors. We're taking our clients money and putting it to work in, you know, the best risk reward situations that, that we can find right now. And, um, uh, Bitcoin is one of them. Yeah. So do you have an expectation? I think the consensus is that we'll see an approval of a number of these ETS at the same time that could or could not happen, as you said. But do you have an idea in the current market how much AUM ballpark we would see, you know, in the first weeks, months of this approval? We have 
BITO, I get as guess is a bit of an example, very quickly did a billion dollars. I think under 72 hours. I think that actually surprised a lot of people, but that was peak bull market euphoria when it happened, right? Um, and so maybe this time is a bit different. My assumption is that a BlackRock doesn't launch a ETF and hope they land 50 million in AUM, right? That there, there's a plan here. But uh, what better question, what would you consider a successful first week or month for these approvals as far as AUM or a complete failure? Yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, any ETF that launches and uh, manages to get a billion dollars in the first week is a success, period. Uh, and then it, when you take our price expectations for Bitcoin, you know, you, you, I think we would expect $10 billion in spot ETF AUM, like within one year uh, and anything less than $100 million on, on day one or the first three or four days, you know, would be disappointment to me. Does it surprise you that the ETH futures ETFs did so poorly in that context? <laughs> I mean, the futures-based products are, um, you know, substandard. Uh, there's a lot of additional costs. You're paying the cost to roll these future contracts. They, they are pretty much destined to underperform the spot products in a bull market. So those are those are placeholder products, I would say. It's sort of that. It's sort of funny. I alluded to the fact that BITO launched into a raging bull market, sort of at the top. And a few days ago, I would have said, "Man, this is a bad time to launch an ETF. It's a bear market." But maybe not if we're seeing price rising this hard and this fast. I mean, it doesn't really matter. I think where the price ends up, but I think that we just got a very, very clear green light that uh, there's a hell of a lot of people waiting on the sidelines or excited for this to happen. And I guess more importantly, that they truly believe it's going to, and maybe you're trying to, to front run it. Yeah, I think I think that's spot on. I mean, another indication of the optimism around simply the Bitcoin hash rate, which continues to explode, right? It's almost a double this year. Um, it's having the side effect of eroding minor profitability. So there's a number of similarities here between late 2019, I think. You know, one is the Bitcoin dominance rising sharply, uh, and another is the divergence between uh, the Bitcoin price and the miners, right? So that we've got a lot much bigger sample size on Bitcoin miners this time around because uh, many more are public, uh, but they're up 4% in the last month, right? BTC is up 18, 19%. And what we can see by watching these stocks is that it's the low cost of production, debt-free miners like Cypher and Riot that have been outperforming, and it's the high cost miners with debt that have been underperforming. So most Bitcoin miners now are no longer selling more than 100% of their coins like they were in the first half of this year uh, because their balance sheets are much improved. They've been restructured. Um, and you know, mining machines also look really cheap relative to the Bitcoin price. So I think Bitcoin miners, given the volatility in the space and given the differentiation between those equities right now, that it's a really fertile uh, hunting ground for, for alpha. So in other words, perhaps the miners are lagging and there's an opportunity there, but you have to choose the right ones. Because we all know that, it, that when the halving comes, that puts actually a lot of stress on miners. So you have to be well positioned as a miner uh, with newer machines and lower costs to be able to actually suffer through the reduction in supply. So are the names that you just mentioned, the ones that because they're low cost and, and they're effectively the most efficient are maybe the ones worth looking at even through the halving next year? 
Yeah, so I think there's some miners that you can look to hold through the cycle as long as they are completely debt-free and have a low cost of production. Uh, and then there's others that you really might want to buy like right after the halving uh, when everything dumps. Uh, but those aren't the ones that you want to own throughout the cycle. And what's really interesting this time around is that there's a dozen of these stocks. So you've got a lot of movements to play with and given the volatility of the space, uh, a lot of alpha. But yeah, basically, I agree with your conclusion. I haven't taken a look at all at the machines, and you just actually mentioned the ASICs uh, being extremely cheap. I know that they were like, you know, we, we went from $20,000 for a miner to like 1500 or something at one point I had checked. Have they come off that floor or are they still exceptionally cheap? They're pretty much right at the all-time lows still, so very cheap. So what does that uh, tell us? I mean, shouldn't we all be, 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 well, we do have the halving coming, so it's going to be yeah, I think that's what difficult it is. for I individual miners as well. You're going to buy a machine that might be basically ineffective 10 months from now or nine months from now. Exactly. But that's where, historically, that's where the most beta in the space is, is in, um, you know, mining machines that are uh, barely profitable. Uh, those have the most beta to the upside. So that's not what I would own, like in a strategy over the cycle. But if we're talking about the tactical similarities to late 2019 here with um, BTC price, BTC dominance, you know, rising sharply, Bitcoin miners underperforming six months ahead of the halving, uh, I'd want to stick to your low cost, no debt miners at the moment. Makes sense. You keep mentioning uh, dominance. I just happened to pull up the chart and uh, going equally as parabolic as Bitcoin, uh, basically, if you look at it. But interestingly, so I, I think we all know, listen, when Bitcoin rages, your altcoins do well in USD, but are actually getting absolutely destroyed by Bitcoin. But in this case, versus even last week when we saw that fake news pump, we are seeing some alts outperform a few. Right. Selective. Injective, I saw. Link has been uh, performing exceptionally well. We all know that Solana has been uh, performing exceptionally well. Are we at least seeing a bit of a decoupling where, you know, a few of these a few of these projects could exit that cycle of boom and bust that's basically just dependent on what Bitcoin's doing at any given moment? The history of this space is that, you know, Bitcoin is the tail that wags the dog. And once uh, Bitcoin holders are sitting on a bunch of unrealized gains, then they look to speculate on, um, you know, riskier projects with possibly more upside. Uh, I would expect this cycle to look quite the same. I just it's, uh, And we have a lot of, you know, differing views in-house and how these views are expressed. But um, I don't want to get too cute about it. I would think that Bitcoin dominance will make uh, a higher high after the halving. And, um, you know, you want to have larger positions in, in BTC for the next six months. Um, there, there are like, you know, case specific stuff going on. You mentioned um, Solana is really the only layer one that's outperforming Bitcoin in the last month. They've got a big breakpoint conference coming up next week. Um, you know, we're quite optimistic that some DeFi activity may return to Solana, which has been mostly absent of TVL uh, ever since yeah. the FTX <laughs> collapse. So we're, we're, we have pretty good conviction that um, among smart contract platforms, it's going to be the EVM uh, and then Solana that have uh, the greatest chance of, of success. But um, it, I, I, I you can always find some altcoins that are, that are outperforming. Um, I'm just not convinced that that's a sustainable move higher at the moment.
Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I mean, I literally even said at the beginning that I'm kind of looking at selling certain altcoins right now. If they're up 50, 60, 70%, I'm not going to play games, right? I'm going to take some profit on these positions because I don't know how long it will sustain. And frankly, I'd rather be back in Bitcoin for this part of the cycle if it is going to repeat and be the same, which you echoed as well. I want to talk a little bit more about Solana, actually, because I interviewed Raul Paul yesterday. That's coming out on, on Sunday. But he was surprisingly, I, I guess I hadn't been following, but very, very bullish on Solana, largely because of Fire Dancer and the ability that it actually has, which I didn't know, effectively become faster, but also more secure, which is the first time I think you've ever seen that with uh, people trying to figure out the uh, blockchain trilemma. I mean, the numbers of whatever of transactions they're apparently going to be able to do very soon is absolutely astounding. But then the question becomes, again, who's going to use it? Right. So like you can you can make it as fast and secure as you want, but we're going to start to have to need to really see, you know, these killer apps and, and, and things that the mainstream wants to use for that to matter. Right. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Fired Answer does seem to be a game changer in terms of, of throughput. We see upside potentially to a million transactions per second. Uh, and then the addition of that second client just increases the, the decentralization. But um, you need a killer app and it, it, it we're hopeful it's going to come in the payments market uh, where the speed and cost of that network uh, makes it feasible for a retailer to take, say, USDC uh, directly from their customer and enter into, you know, a, essentially a loyalty agreement directly with the customer without these banks in the middle. Um, but that that's going to require, just to take that payments uh, uh, case uh, as an example, that would require, say it's Home Depot, right? Okay, come into Home Depot and pay with USDC on Solana, we'll give you a 10% discount. Um, that would require, I think, Home Depot to buy a bunch of soul for their working capital uh, in order to right. help make a market there and, and kind of pay in advance for fees. Uh, you know, we haven't really seen that happen yet, but uh, given what I noted earlier about Solana TVL essentially at at zero right now, uh, there's you know not too much in the price. Uh, so we would expect the rejuvenation of that ecosystem to to have a positive impact if it happens. Right at the very least, it's uh, eliminated all of the VC Sam FTX fud of last year that was supposed to send it to zero because it's trading at higher prices than it was even before that. And I think that, frankly, uh, a lot of those actors have been either washed out or have been somewhat uh, marginalized, at, at least in the, in the holding pool there, which is nice. You talked about USDC on Solana. That was sort of one of those big news events that was missed in the bear market. I think if I, if I recall, you know, just something that doesn't move the needle when uh, we're in this part of the cycle. But I've always argued, speaking of killer apps, that it's stable coins. Stablecoins are and have been, in my opinion, the killer app of crypto for a very long time, not only because it's faster and, and cheaper payments, but because in places like Venezuela and Lebanon and Ukraine and Russia, where you have either conflict or hyperinflation, we'd love to think people are going to rush to dollars, but they uh, rush to Bitcoin, but they want dollars. And this is the only way that they can get them. But they've been doing it on Tron. Exactly. Uh, yeah, actually, that was an interesting thing that happened yesterday is that uh, Ethereum fees finally flipped Tron yesterday, uh, reversing 
the recent trend. Um, you know, that's positive, probably a positive for the space, but just as an indication of, of Tether and Tron's recent dominance in the market, uh, Chainalysis just released a report yesterday uh, that showed uh, how much uh, uh, digital assets value has been transacted by region. And what the data showed is that Middle East, Africa, East Asia, Eastern Europe, they are taking a lot of market share in terms of crypto value settled year to date. Those three regions combined are now bigger than North America or Europe, uh, which are both losing share. So, you know, my hot take is that the EU's MECA regulation was not as positive for crypto as people think. So we're more for, focused on, you know, the EM story, watching Argentina, disappointed a little bit that Malay couldn't win, but we've got November 19th to look forward to in the runoff. Right, he could still he could still win, obviously, it just didn't win, win outright. But, uh, you know, it was a pipe dream even a few months ago to think that you could have this pro-crypto, pro-Bitcoin candidate in the first place who's talking about the death of fiat and central banks. Uh, I think he, he's like a, a Bitcoiner's wet dream who came out of nowhere. So I'll take it as a good thing that he was leading and, and still has a, a fighting chance there, right? But I want to touch on something you just said about Mika. Mika always sucked, right? And th that it's amazing to me. And I think it was a time in the industry where people were just so down on the regulatory environment in the United States that they took any regulation, even if it was bad, that gave some sort of clarity as a win. But Mika was, I mean, before the United States cracked down, everybody was terrified of Mika. So why that sentiment shift to where the industry embraced it? Is it literally just because at least we know what we can do, even if it's bad? Yeah, I think the you know there there were there are some positives in the regulation specifically around uh, the transparency of what is a custodian, uh, what does it mean to be a staking provider, um, you know, licensing and registering those types of centralized actors, you know, is is somewhat positive. But the way that say stable coins are treated, and you know, we've looked into issuing these types of uh, coins, either commodity you know commodity backed, and even even commodity tokens are treated as stable coins in Europe with you know, quite high regulatory capital requirements. And uh, it, it basically makes makes it uneconomical um, unless you're really at scale. So just another example of Europe, you know, picking winners and losers. You can't even choose your own phone charger over there. It's now illegal to use anything but Type-C. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not that. the place where you're going to have freedom. Right. But they all, I mean, there's also like very strict talking about stable coins and why maybe Europe is losing share. I mean, there's very strict KYC requirements on what you can send, who you can send it to, how much of it you can send, what you need to report when you send it. They completely hamstrung the entire stable coin market there. I mean, you effectively can't use them. It's hard to issue a new one. It's not bad if you're an existing stablecoin issue because your regulatory moat just got wider. So, you know, there are some self-custody payment solutions like Gnosis has done with Visa where, you know, you can essentially spend your crypto from your self-custody wallet using the Visa network. We'll see if, if, if retailers get excited about that. It's going to be demand-driven, I think, like even the Visa Solana uh, announcement that, that we've both just talked about, like that's within the creep crypto e ecosystem. Visa is not going to be pushing on this on, you know, TradFi or bricks and mortar retailers. It's going to be up to people who want crypto to demand that service, to want to spend it and use it out of self-custody. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's, that's what adoption is. That's what Tron has, has succeeded at. 
you know, Europe has set has given itself a, a framework for that, but it's not given itself a framework for a flourishing DeFi ecosystem. I, I'm still just shocked how well Tron has done here, which just shows you that regardless of people's, I think, feelings emotionally or sentiment around a project, they're just going to go for cheaper and faster. Yeah, we'll we'll see how that one ends up. Uh, it's it's lagging quite a bit here uh, on the updates. Um, still have a few legal issues. Why is that lagging? Is it is it lagging because everything else is becoming cheaper and faster, or is it just the luster is wearing off? I wonder why that would be the case since they've been so dominant in market share. Um, I think you maybe read the CFTC complaint uh, about who's controlling those nodes, and uh, uh, I don't take a ton from the price of that coin on a ticket ton of information i think it's right right but the the, the the price of the coin and i guess the utilization of the network for a lot of people could be different but yes if you're starting to feel fud or hesitant yeah but it goes back to my point this is supposed to be decentralized monies right so if you're going to be accepting even a stable coin and using one of these networks to facilitate transactions you want to be comfortable buying this asset for your balance sheet and then not being scared when the regulator comes knocking and asking what do you own so in that sense like um, i don't think that tron is you know the, the asset to, to own so totally understand from that perspective i, I know we're kind of here in the uh, last minutes of this which is too bad because i think you've just delivered more alpha per second than any guest we've ever had uh, on here but is there anything else that you're looking at excited about especially in context of uh this sort of new renewed I'll call it a bull market. I think we've been in sort of at least a bullish trend for quite a while here. But but in light of you know this wonderful price action and this real seemingly institutional interest, uh, nothing to add, Scott. Great great conversation. Good, I love me. it. Guys, follow Matthew Siegel on Twitter. I literally realized for some reason that I wasn't following you on Twitter, which I thought I was, but Twitter has this bad habit of uh, unfollowing people on my behalf. I don't know if that happens to anyone else where I'll go to someone's profile and I'm just not following them, even people I've been following for like 10 years. But I did it live during the stream just to get all of you guys to do it as well. But you can find the description, uh, his uh, Twitter down in the description. Thank you as always, Matt. And I, I hope... Uh, I hope uh, they're all approved right at once, or the Van Eck is first. Why not? Thanks, brother. We'll talk to you all soon. Right, man. Thank you. All right, guys. Now, uh, that was, uh, like I said, that was endless alpha. The amount of uh, information that he just dumped on us, I'm going to have to go back and watch this like three more times. We're supposed to have Wick coming on right now, uh, but I'm showing his device is not connected in the window, so I can't even uh, attempt to bring him on to stage at the moment. So what we're going to do is cook through the charts by ourselves. And it's been a long time since we've been able to dig through charts. You guys remember every single Wednesday, I used to do Chartapalooza. And I would just take like 100 requests and we would cook through all the charts. In my free newsletter, which I never literally mentioned, shill or anything, and it's fucking free, which you can find down below the Wolf Den, I actually started charting altcoins again, guys. It happened. It's real. It's there. Uh, yesterday, I think I shared, believe it or not, Shiba Inu. I think I shared a uh, Matic chart, maybe Link, uh, showing what I would do there. Uh, I know Injective has been absolutely blasting off. As I said yesterday on Twitter, I sold a bit of Injective. I've been in from, from much, 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 much lower. 
Um, but only a little bit, only a little bit, taking some profit across the board. But let's take a very quick look at Bitcoin here. This is the weekly chart, guys. If you're not following the newsletter, I literally lay this out every single day. But here you go, man. We saw that break above the 200 MA. To me, that was really the signal after all this struggle below the 200 MA to get above, which also coincided, of course, with the break of the 200 MA on the daily. And we just have these two massive weekly charts with major spread. We're already at half of last week's volume. And that's uh, it's only Tuesday, right? So two days into the uh, into the week, we're already seeing this massive candle spread. And as I said, for basically the entirety of, uh, you know, uh, we'll call it uh, the since a year and a half ago, May 22, after this. So here, starting uh, in, in March, we've basically been in two ranges, this 25 area up to the 28, mid 28s, and then up to 31 and the yearly high of 31,801. Well, we are above those now, right? We are above those. So now, I mean, when I look at the weekly, I only see the area around 37 as being key. And then you go to the daily. Guys, I drew this like 20 times. You saw the box where I said, if we get above after rejecting here at the 200 MA so many times, once we get above it, that box, that area is where you're going to potentially want to buy. Well, you can see, I mean, this is an absolute moon mission right now on, on Bitcoin. Other things that I had shared before that are good signals just for your education and to understand, you can draw... You can draw uh, trend lines on your indicators, as you see here. This was RSI. And I told you when this broke out and retested, when RSI broke out and retested, this is all in the newsletter, which I'm accidentally shilling, I guess, right now, because it's free. Um, you got the retest here, which usually precedes the breakout on price. And on the line chart, you got that breakout in price a few days later, and you can see exactly what happened there. I think that uh, Wick is here. I'm going to try to bring him up. And speaking of the newsletter, he's, as of this week, we have partnered together and he's offering setups from his indicators, trading alpha also for free in the newsletter. You can't literally, I mean, I think you should actually sign up for trading alpha. I've been back testing it. It's incredible. I will be using it much more frequently. I think you should uh, probably purchase it, but you can check it out for free. And actually, I think you get uh, two, two weeks or two months free as well. John, can you hear me there? Hey Scott, I'm here. How you doing today? Holy moly, it works. You, you had you had your uh, Wick logo there before, but he's gone. Were you able ever able to figure out how to share your screen here? Yes, I yes I yes I did. Let me get it going here. Nice. Let's do it. Because uh, I you know I, I haven't done the uh, solo hours of charting thing in a long time. It used to be all I did here, and now I I was kind of I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> right, right. No, I got you. Uh, let me know if my screen's coming up there, Scott. It is, but I, as of now, I see myself on it. So we got it. Yeah, there you go. Here we go, okay. guys. We're doing it. It's happening. <laughs> okay, guys. So I know everyone is super, super excited. However, I do also see the underlying fear, right? We're asking ourselves, is this move real? Is this sustainable? Was it really BlackRock, right? Um, I've heard all the arguments. I've even heard the arguments um, that was brought up just now by by that guy on saying that the... Um, uh, open interest kind of collapsed yesterday, right? So what that means was uh, people were assuming that uh, 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 liquidity pools were hit, right? And because of those leveraged uh, uh, leveraged uh, uh, shorts, that's why we had this pop up. 
I don't think that's the case. I really think that this is a sustainable move and I think the bull market has started. Why? Because I have to go back to the technical. So first, here is the four hour chart, but um, actually, let me switch to the weekly chart, okay? This is why I think that the bull market has started. Obviously, everyone knows that we've broken out from this level, okay? But this is a move. This is a this is almost a $5,000 move that just happened. We haven't seen that type of move in Bitcoin ever, I think, actually, um, in such a short period of time. Is that right, Scott? I, I think we've seen them before in other markets, but I think the sentiment is correct, yeah. Okay, now what we really need to pay attention to, right, if we're really just analyzing this technically here, is does this weekly bar close like this? If it does close this way, Scott, th this is the bull market has started, right? And then once I take a step back and I start analyzing the structure, you notice that all we've been doing is putting in higher highs. Higher lows and higher highs all the way up. That is literally the definition of a bullish trend. So, okay. Yeah. So if you have to ask me, Scott, the bull market has started. You want some more confirmation? Wait five days and let's make sure that this closes above um, this, this resistance zone that we're in. Okay. Um, another reason why I think the bull market has started, these Bs don't print, Scott. I'm going to be honest with you. They don't print until a big move happens. And I'm going to show you. Can right you tell me what those Bs mean for people who don't uh, understand? <laughs> yeah. That is a great, great point. So these Bs pick up patterns. They pick up bottoming patterns. One of the patterns that it picks up is a double bottom. So you can see here how we made that first leg lower. We call this the puke low. Everyone is normally, you know, back in the day calling the broker saying, listen, get me out at any point. This is why there was a squeeze breakout to the downside, making this next leg put in a double bottom, and this was signaled by the Bs. Let's look at the last time this happened, Scott, just for some context, right? If we go back here, I don't want to show too much of the secret sauce here, but remember this move, Scott? Remember dropping from 6,000 all the way down to 3,000? Everyone thought it was Literally over. everybody remembers that. I, I still dream, I have nightmares about that, yeah. Uh, we all, anyone that was alive at that point in Bitcoin uh, literally has this, that same, that, that same, those same nightmares, okay? But look when that bottom printed, printed. So this bottom, okay, there was no other bottoms anywhere in this vicinity, bottom printed, letting us know, letting me know that there's a high probability, never 100%, high probability the bottom has been put in. What do we get next, Scott? We get these green dots. And what, are that, what does that tell us? This is simply the soonest indication that a bullish trend is starting that you can ever get in any indicators, any setups, anywhere in the market. I've said it. This is the soonest entry on trends you will get. It turned green right after the bottoming pattern setups. Okay. This is telling you that a trend is now starting after a bottom pattern is put in. Okay. Same thing here. Bottom put in. What happens? We have green dots, little fake out, not too, not, not, not uh, uh, too much later. We have a squeeze breakout to the upside. This volatility shading, but you know an extreme move is coming. We broke up to the upside. The dots kept you in the move the entire bull market. They only stopped right here okay so if you go here scott and you now look to the current another squeeze breakout this started the bear market we put in our double bottom patterns over here started to see green trend dots letting us know the trend is finally picking up after the bottoming pattern and here we are scott so that 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 kind of says it all for me i think this bottoming pattern here uh, has also given me much confluence with the breakout from this zone that we were not able to break through ever since uh, may of 22. so these are all reasons scott why i believe the bull market has started and if you want me to add another one here it looks like i don't have it on my chart but if you put on a 200 day moving average which um, I, I have it and I just showed it right before you came on. So super easy. There's the 200 day moving average right there about 20. We're above the 200 day. 
broke through it. And uh, I was literally talking about it right before he got on. So, so good timing. Yep. So hundred percent. So I think even people in, 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 in the, uh, let's call it legacy markets and stocks are looking at it. Yeah. Yep. And and they're thinking this is the time. And then I want to bring up another point, Scott, that is, that is very interesting. Um, the having is right here. Okay. So we have this time before the halving. Normally, we do have a 20 to 30% pullback when we're at this stage in the market. It doesn't have to happen, but I want to point it out. Now that we're a little higher, Scott, that 20 to 30% pullback, you know, that again, I have no reason to think it's going to happen because we're not seeing it technically uh, show in the charts, but we've got to be aware of it. And that puts us at now that we've climbed higher, anywhere from 28 to $25,000. So let's say, in this range right here, somewhere in there, there's a there's a possibility. You know, who knows? Maybe the ETFs there's a lag, and you know they don't get approved, or the first one gets denied, or whatever the case. History says that we should pull back here before the bull market. However, I've not seen that, but I just want to mention it so you guys are aware. It's so funny because that's the price going back to prices not seen since. 10 days ago, right? Yeah. Um, and, exactly. And that, is a, that, that is a clear support zone. Whenever you exit it, you obviously know that there's demand left behind in any zone where price quickly exits. So that wouldn't be a surprise. But what, what is interesting is when we were just sitting at 25 to 28, not long ago, that retracement people were talking about going back down to 20, right? And so uh, it's nice to see that that like standard retracement we get would be kind of putting in another higher low, most likely. Uh, and in previous halving cycles, we didn't have the Bitcoin spot ETF hype. And we always did kind of get that scary higher low. In the case of 2020, you know, we had obviously the, the lows of that cycle around 3,200. And then March of 2020, which everyone knows when COVID hit, we went down to like 38, right? That was a really close higher low as well before rocketing up. You showed it over there, you know, 14,000 uh, when the green dots were hitting. But um, I'm hoping that this time, quote unquote, is different and we don't need to go back and make that slightly higher low, you know, in the 19, 20, 20 region. But I think things have changed here, right? I think that uh, if you zoom out and don't even just stare at the charts, I think it's clear that there's a lot more buying interest than selling interest in context of what's happening with this market. 100%, Scott. I, I, I agree with you 100%. In fact, you know, I'll, I'll put my name on, on the line here and say that I don't think that there's almost any chance at all of us breaking below 25,000, right? That would be the 30% retrace mark from here. So normally, we, we, if we do retrace, it's 20 to 30%. Um, in, in my opinion, there's no ways we go below 25. And um, yeah, I think this is a really great place. That weekly chart that I that I showed right here, right? This is a really great setup if you guys are investors for the long term, right? If you're looking for times to buy, you guys know I don't believe in averaging down in a bear market because before you know it, you're at an 80% drawdown and you're you know reconsidering your life choices. So um, I do believe that you know now is probably a good time, right? On this setup, on this breakout arrow here. This is another thing that I didn't point out. We have a squeeze that just broke out. This actually triggered the squeeze breakout that that was right here, similar to right here, and also it started the bull market right in twenty. So we're having that same pattern play out now, Scott. So does, that's also quickly. Does that does that arrow print before the can? Like where in the candle did that arrow print? Because I can see the red one obviously b b before that huge FTX squeeze down, and then they're hard to find. There's a couple of the green ones before the absolute parabolic move on the left of the chart. So was that green arrow? Because guys, I'm learning this alongside you. To be honest, uh, I've been digging into it. But does it, that those green arrows that was that a signal before this massive candle? 
Um, yes, Scott. So the way it works, right? Uh, all our indicators, none of them are um, none of them are lagging indicators. So I will say this: the dots print the same time the bar uh, is active live. It doesn't print on the close. And with these squeeze breakouts, right? We actually have another signal that is a potential breakout that would have signaled here if I turned it on. But yes, Scott, I think these breakouts go live. So these do not signal after the bar closes. These do signal live while the bar is in motion. That's awesome. I see that you have Solana charts there as well. And I think that that's been on a lot of people's mind. Like I said, it was the conversation I had with Raul Paul yesterday. Some cow came to Solana. I just talked to Matthew about Solana. Everybody's talking about Solana. So uh, what do you think? Do you think that this can continue? Is this a get short? Is it a buy the dip if we get it opportunity? How are you viewing this? I absolutely love Solana. So I'm very much in Rawls camp. It is one of the main assets that I plan to trade in this bull market. I think that it probably has the most upside, right? And I said think because nothing is absolute, but um, it is one of the plays where I'm, I'm, I am putting my money. So let's look at what's happening. Uh, let's skip this four-hour chart. I'm sure you can see here uh, from exactly what I've gone over, Scott. We, we have these bars here. Nothing is happening. We have the squeeze shading, letting you know a violent move is coming. Eventually, you have a red dot okay it might be might be the downside arrow we get the downside action okay while we're getting this we eventually print these b's and we're waiting for a green dot to let us know the trend has changed Tre uh, trend changes and off to the races okay so let's get off of this let's look at the weekly chart because you asked me when is a good time now to buy um looking back here on the on, on this chart scott i really don't think that um who made a good chart of this i think it was um i think it was um uh, Pentoshi made a really good chart of this, but if we go to the weekly, okay, we still haven't broken this resistance. And this is when I think that it happens. This is when I think that it would be a great time to enter. So this is what I'm watching, okay? I do have some soul, uh, but most of my bags are gonna come out when we hit that stage two uptrend, when we break above this resistance. What I don't want to happen is I don't want to have another fake out here. I buy it, a fake out happens and it comes down. So sometimes you have to draw these resistances and really respect them, okay? Um, another thing, let me see if I have another chart. Uh, look on this chart here, okay? We have the track line, Scott. Uh, this track line here is in direct confluence with that gray uh, resistance line that I showed you. So again, I really am waiting for it to break above uh, this resistance area over here before I get in. I think that's a great time to start buying into Solana and looking for, for bullish setups. So this is one of those things where you had your chance <laughs> and now you know, you're looking for the next chance, but uh, you don't necessarily need to FOMO in at the exact moment. I shared a lot of, I share a lot of things like that where it's like, you know, I'm not looking good, but you're clearly at resistance. You know, you don't want to buy right into resistance, as you said, because then you get faked out. I can tell you, like I was looking at this one today. This is uh, e-gold, which everyone who has followed me for a long time. <laughs> I was first in ERD, which was uh, previously mm -hmm. Elrond at 10 sats. So versus Bitcoin. <laughs> Right. And it went, I think, to 350 sats. It's literally the reason that my newsletter like tripled in, in followers. And then we sold it, it went way back down. Then it changed to Elrond and we bought it at 10 bucks and we're selling it at well over 200. Right. Now it's, I'm kind of interested again. But the point being, this is resistance. Right. Like yes. these humongous wicks. This is what you're talking about. You didn't want to buy that right when it was approaching it. That, that was the absolute rejection. So now, so the same kind of idea, you want to get clearly above and then try to buy the, the retest. Maybe you don't get it. Maybe you missed the trade. There's always another one. But I think that's kind of the same idea. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's talk about, let's talk about this real quick. So uh, with my, with my audience, Scott, I talk 
a lot about a stage one basing and not being an area to buy, okay? And stage one basings happen just before a stage two uptrend, which is the bull market, okay? This right here to me, Scott, is a classic stage one basing pattern. You don't buy this at all, okay? It's only when it breaks out and you see a setup that you get into long positions, okay? From, from my rules, from being a trader for so long, I never, ever, ever buy these stage one basings on a weekly time frame. okay? When I look at this, I tell myself, okay, is there a range to be had? Okay, and if, if there is a range to be had, then maybe there's some scalp trades, meaning short-term trades. But as far as medium-term trades and long-term trades, I never, it's a golden rule. I never ever getting to them when you're in these stage three basing patterns, no matter what the dots are doing or nothing. It has to break through into that stage two uptrend before I start looking for setups. Which is interesting because a lot of people, because I think their natural instinct is to want so badly to have bought the bottom, right? We'll say, yep. but you could have bought it for $8 last year or just in June, it was back down to $12. And your thinking aligns with mine, which is I would rather buy higher on confirmation because the upside is all the way back to those all-time highs, right? Yes. I mean, do I care if I buy above 40 bucks or whatever that is, or if I bought at 20, really, if it's going to hundreds of dollars? No. I don't. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, Scott, one more thing that I want, that I want to really mention here while I'm on the uh, YouTube video is I have a lot of people and um, they'll say, Hey, but you know, your setups are beautiful, but like if I miss it, right. I, I'm, I'm probably not going to catch it. And what I, what I tell everyone is please remember that if you do become a member with us, just right click. Okay. And go to add alert. Right. And if you're trying to catch the green dot setups, add alerts. They will let you know exactly when they print. They'll let you know when the B's print. They'll let you know when the dots print. They'll let you know when the squeeze breakouts print. So these are these are all methods of how I catch moves. I don't sit there waiting, looking at the charts you know, all the time. I just set alerts and that's it. For yeah, I mean, I set alerts for everything. Usually for me, it's lines, right? Like when it breaks a resistance or exactly. something. How do you actually add the alert for a dot to appear that hasn't appeared? Just great for, question. For great question. So if you, <laughs> yeah, right, right, no, right. Great question. So exactly how I do it, Scott, I, I look for alerts, but as you can see, these setups are in motion. I would not try and catch these setups or run after them. I think right, that's but let's say you want to know when you want to be alerted when the next red dot hits. Sure. Yeah. So if you wanted to be alerted when the next red dot hits, um, you would simply uh, go here. You would click on the alpha trend. You would click on uh, maybe right click it here. And then uh, let's see here. Uh, see, I normally go here to settings. I put them uh, on the spot. There you go. Yeah, you go. Okay. Here you go. Here you go. Here, here's where you can set all alerts, right? So if you go and you click on this, it's going to ask you if you want to uh, do with any of our our signals here. Okay. Holy shit, that's awesome. Yep. Micro bearish trend. That's your that's your red dot. Micro bullish trend. That's your green dot. You click any one of these, and it's going to let you know when it's printing its first uh, a green dot. And that's interesting because usually when I set an alert, it's based on something I drew on the chart. It's not like just something that appears out of nowhere at an arbitrary level. So that, I've never seen that. That's amazing. Hundred percent. You, you thought of everything. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, Scott. Uh, just to reiterate, I do think that we're in a bull market. I do think it's wise to start for people to start um, having kind of a, a bearish tone. I know, I know everyone's been kind of really hurt by this bear market and sideways action, where um, you know, obviously, no long positions in a, in a stage four downtrend are really going to work out in your favor. And I think most people um, are, are are really not believing this. Uh, or maybe we're caught off guard and didn't jump in. 
uh, just know that this is not the end of the road. There will be more setups. Most times, actually, on this weekly chart, you do see a pullback to resistance. Scott, you know this before it breaks out again, right, in a healthy chart. And rarely, very rarely, okay, does it not retest because the, the asset is so strong. There's so much momentum behind it. It just, it just leaves you, okay? This is what everyone's worried about. And let me tell you, this has happened very, very, very rarely in my career. When you have a it big happens macro- happens and there's always something else to buy or the next level. I mean, Boom. it happens. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what I think most people, uh, this is why they end up making most of their mistakes is because they're pressured and there's a lot of emotion going on. They turn on Twitter and everyone's telling them that they caught the move and they're up, you know, thousand percent. These make us uh, uh, execute irrational moves. So uh, if you're watching this, just know if you miss any moves ever, you know, don't, don't, don't FOMO in, just be patient. Setups always come again, always, no matter what price we're at. So much alpha, man. So listen, guys, I told you at the beginning, John, you were probably uh, uh, reconnecting at that time. Um, but we've done a, a partnership here, obviously. Um, although you've been on the show even without having to do that. But uh, And so in the newsletter, you can see his setups that he's sharing with us for free. Of course, if you want to dig in and trade these yourself, you're going to need uh, the, the bundle and, and to buy the indicators, which I'm aggressively using. I, the only thing I would have asked is if I could make them blue and gray because my charts are so uh, weird. <laughs> we can make a blue and gray version for you specifically, Scott, if you, if you really want them. Uh, but uh, you know, that, that's me just uh, being a weirdo because it's the way I look at charts. I actually find for me that a red and green are triggering. You know, I used to find that it gave me sort of more emotion than these cool, calm colors, which for anyone who doesn't know why my charts are blue and gray, it wasn't to a standout. It was literally to avoid triggering emotion, which is a kind of interesting, but um, in the description down below on the YouTube, and it will always be there on YouTube videos for now on. And at the bottom of the newsletter, you can check more out and you can sign up for this. And to our followers, it's two months free, correct? It is two months free. So Scott has a, a code. If you take that code and uh, you go to our checkout and you're checking out the yearly alpha bundle, um, that will- uh, Crap, I didn't put the link in there. I'm just realizing that we didn't have the link. I'm going to go at it. It's right okay. Now. It's okay. Let me- Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So you, you use that link that uh, Scott's going to put there. And then when you get that link and you go check out the yearly bundle, that is the one that has the dots- uh, make sure that you input that two months off. That's uh, two with the number two, two months off, capital N, M, capital O. If you do that for all Scott's followers, it's two months off. You'll see that reflected in the price. I'm going to have to literally edit this. So guys, you can check it out in the newsletter. The information <laughs> is there, but my God, the, the link is not, and I can't change it until we get off, but I'm going to change it immediately when we get off. So wait uh, one minute. And uh, then it will be there, man. John, thank you so much. Uh, do you think I could convince you to do this weekly? Scott, I would love to come here and join you guys weekly. Let's do it. Yeah, because we've started like uh, Wednesdays. I have Texas Wex Capital. Thursday, I have Chart Guys. I would love to just do this on Tuesdays. Can we do that? Tuesdays, I'll be here. I'll be here, Scott. You got it. Let's do it. Awesome. Can't wait, man. Thank you, everybody. Uh, check him out also, of course, on Twitter. One of my favorite followers. It's called X. I still call it Twitter. It is what it is. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Zero hedge underscore guys. Check me out. Yep. Bye. Zero hedge underscore. All right, everybody. That's all I got. I got to go get ready for good old Twitter ta uh, crypto town hall. We did an impromptu crypto town hall last night. I had like 12,000 people there while Bitcoin was pumping. It was crazy. Uh, but today should be absolutely epic, incredible guests. We're going to talk through this. Man, that was a great. Today was amazing.
like these streams are just getting better and better. It's so much more fun in a bull market, but really just trying to drop the alpha. Christopher Walker says, no golf, Scott. I am going to play. I said it. I'm going to play golf this afternoon for the first time in like six months. And it's going to be amazing. And you guys might not hear from me. That is what it is. All right, guys, that is all I got for you today. I'm going to change the description right now. So check that out, please. Peace. That's dope.